Good morning, everybody. My name's Brad. I'm one of the leaders. If you didn't know that, here I am. Uh, I just got back from Mexico. I was in Leon de Guatajuato. I believe that's how you say it. They kept correcting me. Uh, Leon is the, the center, the geographic center of Mexico. I was there uh, for my other job, which is with this organization called Saturate. But I was in uh, this place, Leon, uh, is a really beautiful uh, mountainous place uh, in Mexico. One of the interesting things about it is not only is it considered the geographic center, it's also considered the spiritual center of the entire country. Uh, one of the things that they've done uh, over uh, centuries is actually on the, the highest mountain in this state, uh, right outside of Lyon, is they built a big uh, cathedral. And in front of that big cathedral, they, uh, on a very tall platform, built a statue of Christ the King. Uh, it's the same statue that they have in my hometown of Lisbon, Portugal, where, where bishops had decided that they would build this large statue uh, that would hang over the entire city, and everyone who saw it, wherever they were, would look up and they would see, oh, Jesus is the king. Uh, this similar statue, exact same statue in Rio de Janeiro, uh, on top of the high coastal mountains there, uh, it's the most uh, photogenic uh, religious monument in the entire world, where, where Jesus hangs over that city, uh, his hands outstretched, uh, welcoming, but also crucified, and that statue is called Christ the Redeemer. And in every one of these uh, places, Lyon, uh, Lisbon, Portugal, and in Rio de Janeiro, the idea is uh, that the people would come and know and see who Jesus really is, and it's a testament of, of what people believe about, about who God is and what they hope for their entire country. Um, that... Uh, essentially, is our hope and our prayer in L.A. That everywhere people go, every, every environment, every street, every corner, every dark place, every bright place, uh, every business environment, every single place in the city, people would have an encounter and have a, even a, a gentle confrontation with the reality that Jesus is the King and Jesus is the Redeemer of all people. Like, that's our, that's our deep prayer and hope and longing. But the, but the unique thing about it compared to these statues that have been built is we don't expect the city to encounter uh, Jesus as a distant idea or a distant monument, but to encounter Jesus uh, in the people of God, uh, to encounter Jesus through uh, our relationships with one another, with, with the church itself, with the family, so that every uh, man, woman, child, uh, even puppy and cat, would have a daily encounter with the fact that, that Jesus is actually the Redeemer and King, and they would see that and they would know that based off of uh, the interactions that they have with God's people. That's our, our longing and our prayer. That every coworker that exists, every neighbor, every friend, every teacher, uh, every lawyer, every man, woman, and child would have a, an encounter with the family of God. Uh, they, that they would see and hear the truths about Jesus lived out among them. Uh, we exist as a church to see Los Angeles saturated with the gospel, uh, overflowing, completely known, uh, that, that, that Jesus is who he said he would be and that we would in, introduce people to that person, the person of Jesus. Uh, a year and a half ago, 
we got to explain or declare uh, a vision that we believe God is, is giving us for a church. Uh, this is what we actually said a, a year and a half ago. We said that over the next 10 years, we see our church multiplying into a family of churches in Los Angeles. Uh, just a few things about, you know, language is important. Uh, and I was in those rooms, and we were praying for this. This isn't a, a statement of, hey, over the next 10 years, we're going to strive and manufacture a movement. Uh, it was really actually looking and observing and saying, we believe that this is what Jesus is actually going to do among us. As we look at our church, as we look at what God is doing, this is what we believe he's going to do. So we're going to be witnesses to this over the next 10 years. You might be saying, well, what is a family of churches in L.A.? Uh, a family of churches is an independent collection of congregations that share the same vision, the same longing, a uh, similar language, not like Spanish and English, but language about who God is and who we are as a people. Same theological convictions and sharing resources and planting new churches together, caring for the flock, and being united around this mission of seeing our city saturated with the gospel. That's our, that's our vision. We're uh, a year and a half in, so it's not over the next 10 years, though it could be cool just to keep copying and pasting that and saying... Uh, yeah, over the next 10 years, over the next 10 years. Uh, but really, uh, I guess it's eight and a half years that we, we, we have this longing expectation that God's going to do that. Uh, one other thing just on that is that's not um, a new even revelation in prayer. Um, our church is also uh, eight and a half years old. And since its beginning, uh, there's been this hope that it wouldn't just be us getting to experience Jesus in this city. But it, there was this longing hope, not just that this would be a church that exists and continues to exist, but I know deeply from even the time trip, uh, and Jessica took us on top of the hill over here, that as we looked out and as we prayed for the city, this is what would happen. And I know that that's been the faithful call of this church, is to hope and longing, long to see uh, that happen in this city. Uh, and so we're just saying, we feel like we're on the cusp of that. We feel like what God is orchestrating is putting that right before our eyes. Uh, this morning I want to talk about uh, five principles or characteristics of what a multiplying church actually looks like uh, from the book of Acts through the story of the church of Antioch. But then I also uh, am going to give us a little update on how we are going to multiply for the first time from one church into two churches and really begin to see this reality of us being a family of churches. Does that sound fun to you guys? Yay! There we go. You guys can respond. You can give audible things. Uh, my, uh, my friends that I made in Mexico pointed out that I do this a lot. Mm. Uh, really, it was just me thinking of other things while they were talking in a language that was easy to like check out of. But they're like, you, El Brad, these mmm... And I was like, yes, that is me. But this is from Acts chapter 11. Uh, if you have the Bible, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screen. Uh, but your Bible's also good. You know, you should check it out. It's cool. And if you have a phone, it's all in alphabetical order, so Acts comes up quickly. Um, I guess it's the first. Anyway, don't get stuck on that. Uh, Acts chapter 11, this is what it says. 
Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarshish to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This is, uh, this is the story. This is the first key element of becoming a church planting a hub or a family of churches or seeing a movement of God happen. And you might think, well, that doesn't sound that incredible. Uh, what's happening here is, is in the face of persecution in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the church first began to be, where the people uh, first spoke as witnesses uh, of the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And, and in that city, we, you know, we, we have very famous descriptions of that church, where people are sharing everything that they have, and they're dependent on the the teaching of this gospel, they're uh, seeing miracles happen, they're sharing all of their belongings, eating house to house, all of that really good stuff. People are adding to them daily. People are seeing their lives, believing it, coming and joining it. And then a massive uh, persecution happens, and it scatters people all over this little tiny section of the world. And as they do that, people are, are, you know, going and telling this good news about Jesus. What makes Antioch special is they, they didn't say, oh, well, we're only going to talk to the people who are uh, Jews, who are part of the family of God already. We're going to go and we're going to tell even the Hellenists, even these cultural people, these Greeks, these uh, Roman citizens who are not like them. And they began to speak to them. And I think we can pass over this all the time, but he says he's, they were preaching the Lord Jesus. It's interesting, they weren't preaching about Jesus. They weren't preaching uh, information about him. They were preaching him himself, the King, Lord, the Messiah, the one who was promised, the one who came, who died, who rose again. They're preaching a a message that Jesus uh, wasn't uh, just a man or a philosophy, but they're preaching this reality that he came and he lived amongst and he said, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe. They preached about how he, he considered his life nothing uh, compared to the joy set before him. That Jesus endured the cross, he died uh, not just for the sake of us, but, or for our sins, but for the sins of the world for the evil that exists, for the death that consumes this world, he died and then rose again, victorious over all evil, all brokenness, making the world a whole new place, a whole new set of rules. That's what it means when they say they preached the Lord Jesus. That's a good message, right? That's 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 a good news, change your whole life kind of message. If that's true, then all of life is now different. And that's what these messengers were doing. They were going to these cities, and in Antioch in particular, and they said, everybody needs to know this. And so they proclaimed it. They talked about it. And it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. In this church, 
They saw uh, not the hand of, of really good skills or the hand of incredible funding or the hand of making people's lives really great. They were all still persecuted. But what they saw is that God was with them. The presence of God. It reminds me of what we'll talk about when we get into the Gospel of Mark in a few weeks. That Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. And here it's as if the kingdom of God is being pushed out with God behind them. Or it's like the psalmist says, the famous psalm, Surely his goodness and his mercy follows me. I think that's what it means when it says the Lord was with them. And then it says a great many people believed and turned to the Lord. They believed and turned to God. They repented and believed. They saw that that Jesus, this this Lord that they were talking about, that the substance of their message was worth leaving everything that they had hoped for behind. Uh, In seeing Jesus, they clearly realized Oh, hoping in in myself being enough to prove myself to other people, that doesn't matter. Jesus is better. They saw, oh, all the worries, all the anxieties, and all the ways that I try to control, Jesus Jesus is far better than that, the king of the world. They saw uh, Jesus is better than than trying to discover or build for ourselves our own kingdom, our own businesses, our own enterprises. Instead, they said, Jesus and what he is doing is the greatest thing that there could ever be, and they believed that. They, they beheld Jesus as the one and only. And they repented. When Barnabas came up, uh, we'll talk more about him later, but they send Barnabas uh, to go check out this thing. And we, when he gets there, he says that he saw the grace of God. Like he saw it. I think we forget often that what we get to see here when we're together and when we're in our DNA groups, when we're in our missional communities, when we're hanging out uh, in the day-to-day stuff of life, that what we're witnessing and seeing is not a, a bunch of people who figured out life the best way. But what we're witnessing, what we're seeing is a tangible reality. He didn't say that he, he saw uh, the vibe of the grace of God. He experienced just this cool vibe, God's grace. He says that what he saw was the very gift of God amongst them. That's what we get to see all the time. Like, that is what we are encountering when we are together and we're, we're sharing our lives. The grace of God. Not an, he didn't see, oh, they have really good structures and systems. Like, oh man, they're really dialed in. Man, they've really figured out the lights. Uh, No. What he saw was the grace of God, and he was glad. If there's any sort of encouragement I can give you guys, is that we would realize that what we're seeing is grace. A grace that produces joy and gladness. And then he exhorts them, all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Uh, We weren't clever enough whenever we conceived of our prayer for the year about uh, 12 months ago to look at this verse. But as I read this verse this week, it's like, oh, that's our prayer for the year, that we would become fervent and living and speaking the truth. This is what he tells them. He gave them the same thing. Remain faithful. 
to Jesus, the King. Consider all of your life about Him. Be faithful to Him with steadfast purpose. A purpose that isn't ending, that isn't a a box to check this next week. Or even for us as a church, that we have this steadfast purpose. Man, once we send these Venice people out, yah, yah, hooray for us, we did it. But he's saying, be committed to to this purpose that you've been called into. Like there's a, this reality that, um, that many of you did not come here today uh, really longing to hear like, man, what is Soma's ideal picture of, of like reaching the city? You might have actually just come here today uh, longing and hoping to find some sort of glimmer of hope and life. Maybe just... Uh, you know, and I think this is super normal, so, you know, no side eye for me. But that you probably came just saying, I really need some sort of evidence that God is true and real and he's concerned with me and he will somehow transform my heart. Like, that's probably, I don't know, hopefully that's why you came here. There's some other reasons, I guess, like you felt like you had to or something. But we'll take it. But here's the good news. The transformation that Jesus is going to do in this city has always been around doing something in the lives of people. Like transforming your hearts. Transforming our lives. Through this steady realization that these people were doing of believing and repenting. An ongoing process for the rest of our lives. And to that, Barnabas says, be faithful but also the, the, the transformation of your life, the raising of your life from the dead, is not just something God wants to do in you, it's something that God intends to do through you for the rest of your life. That's pretty remarkable. That what you're longing for is some sort of reality of Jesus in your life. And Jesus says, yes, that's what I intend to do in you, but don't worry. You might not even realize it. But the things that he's doing inside of your soul and inside of your circumstances, he's making an incredible impact through the rest of the city. Because, see, the foundational assumption Jesus makes for his church is always that when you are discipled in the truth of Jesus, and when you grow to love Jesus and love the people around you, the effects of that reverberate throughout an entire city, through an entire place. As the gospel is shared, people believe. As people believe, people grow up in the faith. As people grow up in the faith, they go and start new communities and new neighborhoods or new churches other places. And as that happens, more people believe and more people are sent. And this is the the phenomenal reality of the kingdom of God. The parables that Jesus shared, I don't know how into parables you are, but, but the parable that he says, just a little bit of yeast leavens the whole loaf. Like you can just put a little bit in and it, it drastically changes the whole thing. Jesus believes that. He intends to do that through us. The movement of Jesus comes to you and through you. Uh, so the first principle here uh, that we see of a church being that kind of, of, of hub for planting new things and seeing a city saturated with the gospel is actually, the very first principle is you start with the church that is committed to Jesus. Committed to Jesus being better. 
than anything else in this world. A thriving church. A place where people are repenting and believing. And I think that's what, uh, by God's grace, we can see it, we can be glad. That's what he's doing among us. And I know we all long for more of that. We don't look around and be like, man, we've received the full thing of grace. Man, aren't we so good? You know, a lot of us are critical, and like that's why we get you know, paid money and stuff. It's like we use our brains to analyze what's missing and, and evaluate problems and see what's wrong and what could be fixed. Some of us are just incredible people that have deep empathy for others and their sin and their brokenness, and so we see all of that also. But I want us to, to remember that what we taste and see in this body is the very grace of God like that we get to, that we get to proclaim Jesus is King. That's what we're going to do from now on. That's what we've been doing since the beginning, I believe. No one's come to me and said, we didn't really do that in the beginning. Like, what I actually hear, because I'm new to this place a little bit-ish, not really a new guy, two years, that makes me an Angelino, right? But this church is much older. What people tell me about this church is that it was a place where people experienced the grace of God, where people liked to talk about Jesus. That's the beginning. That's the whole thing. Well, not the whole thing, because I'm going to talk more. But that's the beginning. Uh, The second principle comes right after this. And it's this principle that, that not only do we exist as a church where we get to see Jesus clearly all the time, but also we're concerned with people that we'll never even see or know. To become a church that, that sees its city come to know Jesus requires a church that cares about people outside of itself. Uh, as we talked about a few weeks ago, we're not a cul-de-sac. And this is the story in Antioch. In verse 27 of chapter 11, it says, Now in those days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit there would be a great famine all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. The Spirit gives them an awareness that people are going to have an incredibly difficult time eating and surviving. One, like, Let's pray for more of that, that, we would, that, that they would be prepared to do all of that in advance. But also, it says the disciples determined. And this word here, disciples, is not like, you know, the first 12, like, oh, the real leaders, the real heroes, the real saints. It's all of them. Everyone according to their ability. Everyone deciding, I don't have that much, but it's to my ability I'm going to give. People with a lot, to my ability I'm going to give to send relief to the brothers and sisters living somewhere else. Vast majority of whom would never know those folks. They would just know that they worked for days and got wages and gave them to somebody else. Or that they went to their own storehouses and took stuff out of it. Their financial security, their survival security, and they gave it away. They gave it away because they believed the kingdom of God was bigger than them. And so they cared. So they invested. So they sacrificed. 
I think that's uh, another key ingredient, that we would expect the gospel to, to move beyond us. And sometimes in just the tangible giving of what we have to others. Before they said, oh, like, where should we go and what, what new church should we start? In the very early days of the church, they said, this is what we have. We're going to give it to people who need it. It's a big challenge, I think. Even if you're just uh, living life in a missional community right now, and you think, do we care about the other missional communities and what they're going through? Are there ways that we consider how could we serve them or care for them? Do we think how could we serve and care for other churches in this city? And not in a, like, hey, we have really good tips on how to be church, you want to hear them. But what they were doing is saying, like, how can we sacrifice and help you exist? This is another thing our church has been really faithful in uh, from its very beginning, setting aside money to give to other churches, other places, many of which you never see. Like, you guys give financially in that money, uh, 12% of it, I believe, fact checker somewhere will get me, uh, I don't see any finance team people here today, so I can make up whatever numbers I want. Uh, no, like if like 12%, 10 or 12% of everything you give actually goes to churches in uh, South uh, LA, goes to churches in Arizona, goes to churches in San Francisco. This church has even been dedicated to housing people from Australia and Japan uh, and Denmark uh, and so many other places. Uh, to care for the church. Many of us have even traveled and visited and, and simply been encouragement to all of those places. That's what it is. That's the, the fertile soil of becoming a church that gets to see multiplication happen. We care beyond ourselves. Then next, we see this church in Antioch again in Acts chapter 13. It says, Now... There were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Here they have their remarkable strategy session. Here they, they create banners and cool graphics and videos to say, hey, this is how we're going to reach the entire world. No, right? They didn't do that. Y'all are smart. Some of you read it. Some of you heard it. Others didn't. That's okay. It's warm. What they're doing is they're worshiping Jesus, it says. They're worshiping God. Worship throughout the book of Acts, always holds this, this sort of thrust of all mission. The very first sort of uh, powerful expression of the church even existing comes from a bunch of people worshiping Jesus on the day of Pentecost. The next big thing uh, is when disciples are going into the temple to worship God and someone re- proclaims, hey, can you give me some money? And what they say in return is, uh, money can't do what, what Jesus has done. And that's, that's even the flow and the pattern of the church throughout the book of Acts. The people are either coming from prayer meetings or coming from worship or they're fasting and then God pushes them forward or somewhere and gives them great clarity. 
It's an inescapable reality. And what the, the elders are doing here in Antioch is they are worshiping the Lord, fasting. They're spending uh, their time, they're spending their energy proclaiming the goodness and the mercy of God. There are people who are transfixed on the fact that He is great and we are small. And that in His greatness He came into this place, interrupting our world, redeeming us, saving us. They worshipped the King, the One who's in charge. And they're fasting, saying we have this dependence on God. He's the One that gives us and sustains us. And we learn that as we fast. This is worship-dependent mission. Worship-fueled mission always reproduces humility and courage. I don't think you leave everything you know and travel across the known world uh, for a God that isn't worthy of worship. I don't think you do that. I don't think you sacrifice your time and your energy or give of yourself even to a neighbor across the street if God is not the creator of the world. As we sang this morning, all of those truths, that's the the stuff of courage that comes from this is how great and good and gracious God is. In worship, we turn our hearts and our minds to Jesus. We see what he's done in our lives. And we leave with humility and trust. Also, you cannot cast vision any better than just looking to Jesus himself and worshiping him. Like There's nothing that we could do as a leadership team. There's nothing our deacons could do or missional community leaders could do uh, to, to see us move forward in mission other than worshiping God. Like, that's, that's the stuff. I mean, side note, that's why this is what we do on Sundays. Uh, sometimes we imagine it as just being a thing that, that we get to consume. But really, coming to gather in this place is our chance to, to proclaim who God is and leave knowing where he sent us. Knowing that there's a world to be loved. Next principle Not only are we a worshiping community, not only do we care about churches and people beyond ourselves, not only are we committed to repentance and faith among us, but lastly, or not second to last, penultimately, uh, we send some of the best people and we send them together. Continuing on in chapter 13, uh, it says, they set apart Barnabas and Saul the work on which he had called them. They set aside Barnabas and Saul, two people that were instrumental in the church existing, right? These two people who who came after the church had started and spent a year teaching and helping them grow up. Barnabas has this nickname, the son of encouragement. He's this figure throughout the book of Acts who just comes alongside other people and says, you can do it, you're awesome. You know, that kind of encouragement. I see God's grace, and I'm glad. Like, that's what an encourager, right? He would exhort them. He, he was one of the people that, that explained to them the faith in much deeper terms. Paul, it seemed, who's destined even from conversion to leave, yet he was with them. 
He seemed destined to proclaim the gospel in front of kings and governors, soldiers, even the emperor himself. To go to the very expanse, the, the furthest western border of the entire Roman Empire, that's, that's what he was even saved to do. I mean, like from the very beginning, even in his blindness, I'm sending you to preach the gospel to, to the very reaches, way beyond our culture. And yet what I think is fascinating is that as these people pray and as they worship, they're willing to send some of their very close friends, some of their very best people, and they intentionally send them together. Not as superheroes, but together. It's one of my big beefs, even with some Bibles, as it says in the headings as you read through it. Paul's first missionary journey. It's like, what happened to Barnabas? Uh, Paul's third missionary journey. What happened to Silas? Like, who are, like, yeah, they were just solo people. But that's how our Western minds work. What they were doing is sending people in groups. And as you read the book of Acts, it wasn't just one or two people being sent, but it was a whole team of people that, that in each church they left, they were considered uh, vital and crucial. Uh, I, I made a list of names because I thought it was fun. People like Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. Junia, she was considered a prophet or uh, an apostle. Phoebe, who, who Paul sends to read the book of Romans to people and, and respond to it as they ask questions. Priscilla and Aquila, this couple that was phenomenal. Uh, this lady that Paul mentions, Mary, as this, as this co-laborer servant in Rome. Titus, Timothy, Epaphras. These are just a small selection of names throughout the, book of, uh, throughout the New Testament that are given to us as these are the co-laborers and the team members that saw this movement happen. The church sends people. And trust God with the people that we send. Now we're getting into the, the nitty-gritty hard stuff, right? Also throughout the book of Acts, you just see a lot of weeping and tears and sadness. Sending these people that you love. But also within it is this uh, truth that the church, at its best, is always developing and encouraging each person in the church to be who God's called them to be to live out the gifts that God's given them. And that's what this church was doing. And then as they prayed and as they listened to the Holy Spirit, they, they sent these two people. Then the last thing that happens. The community gives itself up and is never the same. The church sins and is marked forever. Chapter 13, verse 3. It says, Then after fasting and prayer, so they did some more, They laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. They left. Like, gone. The last principle or characteristic of a church that sins and multiplies is that they sacrifice themselves. Uh, This church in Antioch is never the same. Because one of the the fundamental realities of church is we all together make this church what it is. If two of us leave, we're not the same. We're not the same forever. Uh, It's that uh, classic C.S. Lewis example that he gives. where He has three friends and they all love each other and one friend dies and they can't, the, the two that remain, their relationship isn't the same because that person 
was crucial to making them who they were. The same is true for us. When, when we send out a church, or even when you send out a, a new missional community from yours, it's not, oh, there's a new one and we have the old one and we're just moving on now. It's not that way at all. What, what's in its place is two new communities. One community is sent out to learn how to be the church and love and care for people in a new place and a new makeup of people. And the other people are left figuring out how do we now love one another and love this place as a new church. Like that's how multiplication happens. And it's sad. The last thing that we do is we pray and grieve. And anticipate that, that God will advance his kingdom. I think that's why if you don't have those other ingredients that we've talked about, you're definitely not going to do this last one. Because do we trust God? Do we trust God to, to give us everything that we need? Do we trust him and the goodness of his message to, to bear fruit in the lives of the people that we send out? Multiplication, I've described uh, many times, uh, is the last loving act of being a church. The last. Uh, because what, what comes up after that is a whole new thing. It chooses to give itself up and never be the same again. For the sake of obedience, the Holy Spirit told us to. For the, for the sake of the, the gospel of Jesus, it's so good we care about these people that have not heard and not seen. And also for the love that we have for others. The love that we have for the people that we send. That they will go and experience God's faithfulness and grace through hardships and sacrifices and all that. And it's true, like Paul famously in prison a lot. Famously beat up a lot. But we trust in him and him alone. And that's what makes it so joyful and celebratory, that we get to look back and say, look at what God has done, what grace of God, how can I not be glad? The, the rest of this story uh, goes that Paul and Barnabas went on to, to see churches started throughout uh, Turkey and Greece and Italy. The church of Antioch continued to send other people, continued to be a, a pillar of the church in the ancient world. They would send others out, and eventually, every now and then, they would all be together again. But they were never all the same. And neither was the world. Neither was the world. Uh, a church that really didn't have that much substantially uh, was able to see uh, and re able to participate in just a, a, a reshaping of the Western world through dependence on the Spirit, through a longing that Jesus really is better, through sacrificing and giving up for the sake of others, through worship and fasting, through developing all of its people, being prepared to send to anyone, and then lastly, actually sending them. They got to participate in what Jesus says is the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's pretty awesome, right? Those principles make sense? Does it make sense how you fit into that? It's in, in your worship every day, in your fasting, in your loving one another, in your giving up of yourself 
It's not just what you see in front of you that makes a radical difference. It's, it's so much more. Uh, now, for us here, make it real and practical. Uh, also, for, I think, three years now, we've had people living here longing to go see a new church started in this city. And so uh, I'm just going to give dates because I don't want to belabor it. But we are, and we've seen uh, God start uh, the seeds of a new church in Venice. And so on February 2nd in 2020, which feels, I realize it's, it could be really cool, it's 2220220. It's like all twos and zeros, so I don't know what that means, but we're going to be two churches then. Uh, super unintentional. Um, and then on March 1st, that, that Sunday, the next month, will be their first public gathering in Venice as the church. Yay. Let's, let's clap and be excited about it. Uh, and this is an incredible story that, uh, that one of the things that you see uh, is that all of this through the book of Acts and the stories that I've read are all empowered and driven by the Holy Spirit. That the, God, that the Lord's hand was on them. Even in the sending of Paul and Barnabas, they weren't people that they like converted and rose up and then sent out. They were people that had different stories in different places and that they were brought together for a season before they were sent out to do this other thing. Uh, the people that, that have been the, the bedrock and the foundation of this new church came from this place in Mississippi. I went and visited it. It was pretty cool. You thought I was going to say something else, didn't you? Daniel was like shaking his head. Pretty remarkable place. We've been able to see people get married and experience that, see people have children. Like, how incredible is this that we've been participants in their story? But, but they were part of a church just like the one that I described today. Like, that is uh, Four Points Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Like, to a T, right? And we, Miral and I, when we were there for Daniel and Leanne's wedding, met people who had given up their entire missional communities, like, didn't have one anymore because they all moved here. Like, incredible cost and giving. And then as they were here, they were able to be uh, equipped and poured into. They were able to enter into deep relationship where today, when I say February 2nd is going to be our last gathering like this together, it's sad, right? Like, that is a sad marker. I think that's what causes us sometimes to resist putting dates out there. Because these are people we've grown to love and be family with. And it wasn't just us pouring into them, but them pouring into us, encouraging us. And we've seen not just one missional community started, but multiple missional communities started. And not just doing crowd management, but we've been able to witness people be baptized and come into the faith and raised up into the faith. Like, what an incredible thing we've seen. Right? Yeah. Man. You guys are just hot? What is this? And so we're going to send them out. Uh, That's going to happen. We have a lot of things to do beforehand. We're going to continue to to care for them. After we send them out in that date, we're going to continue to share equipping and resources and finances Uh, Our elder team is going to continue to provide oversight and care uh, for that new church until it has 
qualified and called elders to lead that church that we can appoint. That'll be a really fun day as well. Uh, We're going to continue to pursue unified opportunities to worship together and pray together. We're going to be on the same mission of seeing our city filled with the gospel together. Uh, And then we also uh, plan to do it again. Yeah, we anticipate God doing this again. We have that kind of expectation. And we also pray and we can see Venice one day also doing it again. Because that's, that's the pattern of the church. And this might sound radical or something different than any church you've ever been part of, but this is actually the DNA of the movement of Jesus. That he comes in and he intercepts our lives and transforms us, raises us from the dead because of his grace. And he raises us from the dead and he says, you're my masterpiece that I've created in Christ Jesus for good works. Like, this is just how it works. This is how it works in our DNA groups as they multiply for the same reasons. This is how it works in our missional communities as they multiply for the exact same reasons. And one of the things that we get to do uh, as elders is not really make this stuff happen, but then come to you guys and say, this is what has happened and this is what God's doing. Isn't that, uh, I mean, I think that's great. I don't get to share like, I mean, zero of these points have anything to do with me. Right? Nothing that we orchestrated. Tripp and Ryan didn't go recruit people from Mississippi. Maybe kind of the opposite. Like, what are they doing coming here? These kids? These fools? Uh, That sounds more like Tripp, huh? No. This is amazing work of God that we get to celebrate. Uh, Jesus is better. Something that I was reminded of this last week. Uh, over and over again. Jesus is better. Uh, I'm not enough, is something I've realized this week. I'm just straight up not enough. Not enough in parenting, not enough uh, for this church, not enough in marriage. I'm just really not enough to even like consider some of these outlandish dreams and prayers that we have as a church. But Jesus is enough. Like, more than enough. And he gives to us the ability to be called sons and daughters of God. So as you came in, and as I said earlier, maybe you were expecting and hoping to to not hear this, this is what God's doing in the world, but something for you. Jesus is enough, and he's making your life fruitful. He cares for you, he's concerned with you, he sees you, and what he's doing in you, side note, he's going to do something remarkable through you. And I firmly believe that for each person in this room. Regardless of ability or skills or capacity or whatever it might be, Christ is doing something remarkable through you. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for your kingdom and we pray for it to come. Jesus, we pray that as we enter this season of of truly prayer and fasting for this new Uh, endeavor. We pray that we would grow in our trust for you. There'll be all sorts of things that we realize that uh, will be broken after we send some of our sisters and brothers away, and they're remarkable people. Uh, We pray for Venice. We pray that it would be a city that would have an encounter with you through people, that everywhere people go on whatever street they're on or whatever canal or section of the boardwalk, they would be able to see and know, Jesus, that you 
are the, the king of the heavens and the earth. And that they would see it because there would be your disciples living amongst them, welcoming them into tables. And we pray for Culver City that we would continue to see that this would be a moment for us to, uh, to be recommitted to the steadfast purpose we've been given, that we would continue to remain faithful, that you would encourage our hearts and our souls, that on February 2nd we would be glad and we would celebrate and we would say this is God's grace right in front of our eyes. Uh, We're so thankful for what we get to do and participate in. Jesus, it's your spirit that does all of this. Um, We are bystanders, we are witnesses to your incredible love for this city. Uh, your incredible love for our neighbors and our friends. We know you love them because we've experienced your love for us. And you have more than enough to go around. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.